So Ezekiel chapter 8. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here? Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary? But you will see things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance to the court. I looked, and I saw a hole in the wall. He said to me, Son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here. So I went in and looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. In front of them stood seventy elders of Israel, and Jazaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, he said, You'll see them doing things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw women sitting there, mourning the God of Tammuz. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? You will see things that are even more detestable than this. He then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord, and there at the entrance to the temple, between the portico and the altar, were about twenty-five men. With their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east, they were bowing down to the sun in the east. He said to me, Have you seen this, son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them putting the branch to their nose. Therefore I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. Chapter 11, verses 14 to 25. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the people of Jerusalem have said of your fellow exiles and all the other Israelites, they are far away from the Lord. This land was given to us as our possession. Therefore, say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. 
therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you've been scattered. And I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. Then the cherubim, with the wheels beside them, spread their wings, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonia in the vision given by the Spirit of God. Then the vision I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. And John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him... Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Good evening. My name's Jeff. I'm the pastor of Uni Church. If you don't know me or I don't know you, I'd love to say hi to you. After the service, I'll be down here by the info table. Uh, just a quick show of hands. Who has walked out of a movie Oh, whoa, heaps of people. I was expecting like one or two. All right, cool. Uh, it is, it's a thing, isn't it, to, to walk out of a movie? Liana and I walked out of a movie once. I can't quite remember what it was, but I remember uh, we went in there and it was surprisingly violent and it was just quite graphic. And after a few minutes, we just thought, you know what? We don't, I don't need this in my life. And we walked out and the, we, Went to the, saw the ticket person, and they said, "Oh, sure." And we went in and saw Shrek Two or something uh, <laughs> very uh, kind and lovely. Uh, what about regular life? Have you ever been so offended by someone that you walked out of the room? You just—it was—they said something so hurtful to you that you just—you you couldn't bear to be there any longer. You just had to walk out. Has anything like that happened? 
Uh, well, in this section of Ezekiel, God walks out. God leaves the room. Last week uh, in Ezekiel, we heard about the judgment of God. Uh, Ezekiel had to prophesy to uh, the people of Israel about the, the siege and destruction of Jerusalem. But what that uh, those chapters didn't explain was why. Why is God so angry with his people? Uh, well, here in chapter 8, uh, 3 to 11, we find uh, the main reason is because of what's going on in the temple. It's their idolatry. And so we get these, these four uh, different scenes uh, within the temple, things that are going on. And it's almost like a nature documentary, like David Attenborough style. Uh, and he moves through the temple and sees all these things that are going on. Chapter 8 begins uh, with Ezekiel being lifted up uh, from where he is in Babylon, in exile, and uh, in a vision flown across to Jerusalem and taken all the way uh, into the north gate of the temple. And he lands there in verse 4. It says, There before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Uh, That's back in chapter 1. Then verse 5. Then he said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. Right there, at the front door of the temple, an idol. Uh, And Ezekiel looks and he sees the idol, and next to him he sees uh, the glory of the God of Israel, an idol and God in his temple. It's it's horrific. It's it's the equivalent of uh, getting married and on your honeymoon, uh, you leave your wife or your husband at the hotel and you go out, uh, you meet someone and you uh, bring them back to your hotel room. And your new spouse says, I- I'm right here, this is, this is where we're staying. And you brought them back into, into our hotel room. And that's why it's described as the idol that provokes to jealousy in verse 3. The, the jealousy is that anger, that same anger of a betrayed spouse. Uh, and it's right. That's the proper reaction when uh, love that belongs to us is ripped away and given to someone else. God has this white-hot jealousy for his people. And the Lord says, are you seeing this? Verse 6, son of man, do you see what they're doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. See what he's saying? It's, it's scary stuff. He's saying it will drive me far off. But it gets worse. Uh, next, uh, they go in towards the temple court and it seems like uh, there's nothing to see. But Ezekiel's told to dig a hole in the wall and what he uncovers is a door and the door leads to a room and uh, there in the darkness uh, amongst the, the smoke of the incense he finds 70 elders of God's people uh, standing before shrines with crawling things and unclean animals, this hidden cult within the temple itself 
and probably their Egyptian gods. These elders of Israel are, are thinking to themselves, we'll worship these Egyptian gods and uh, then Egypt will help protect us against Babylon. They're trusting in idols to preserve them and protect them instead of the living God. And you see their attitude there in verse 12 of chapter 8. They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Uh, There's an irony there. They say, the Lord does not see us. And in their minds, they're saying it like, God doesn't care about us. He doesn't take any notice of us anymore. Uh, But there's also a a double meaning to that. They think, we can do what we want here in the dark. The Lord doesn't see what's going on. What a foolish, foolish thing to think that they might hide from the living God. You go on, uh, closer into the centre of the temple, there's women there mourning the the god Tammuz. And then uh, the final scene of these four scenes, we go right into the inner court, verse 16, between the portico and the altar. There are about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. They were bowing down to the sun in the east. And right here is the perfect picture, the ultimate picture of idolatry. This is what idolatry looks like. Here in front of the altar. The altar is at the western end of the temple complex and they've turned their backs to God, to the altar, where they might come to God, they've turned their backs on him and they bow down to the sun. And as you, as you think about it, if they're bowing down, it's not just their backs that they're pointing towards God, it's, it's their backside. There's, I could put that in a crude way, there's, there's, there's crude ways to describe what they're doing. And really, I should... I shouldn't be so polite as to just say bottom or backside because what they're doing is utterly detestable, God's word says. It's blatant turning their back on God and bowing down to created things rather than the creator. And so all of these uh, four scenes, as as Ezekiel uh, goes through the temple in this vision, uh, they paint a picture of the idolatry that's going on and it's going on everywhere. Uh, all the way through the temple, right into the middle. Uh, gods from all over the place, foreign gods, living creatures, celestial bodies. And it's men and women and even elders of Israel. Every kind of idolatry being practiced by every kind of person. And the result is what we heard last week, the destruction of Jerusalem. And so chapter 9, here in Ezekiel, again describes what God is going to do to punish his people for the way they've treated him. Uh, But there's something even worse. God is walking out because of this idolatry. Uh, In chapter 10, Ezekiel again sees uh, that vision of the glory of God with the cherubim and the wheels uh, covered with eyes, uh, all that kind of stuff that we've heard previously uh, back in Ezekiel chapter 1, and just as Ezekiel made his way into the temple 
seeing all the idolatry on the way. Now, uh, bit by bit through chapter 10, we see uh, the glory of God moving outwards, step by step. First, uh, he moves uh, out of the inner court, then he moves out to the, uh, to the east gate. He's walking out until uh, there in the end of chapter 11, which we read. Uh, verse 23, have a look with me. It says, The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. Up, out of the temple, out of the city of Jerusalem, up to the mountain in the east. Leaving the temple, the very place where God said he would dwell with his people, but they have treated him with such contempt, and now he's walking out. And notice uh, that he's... He's leaving uh, and he moves off towards the east in the direction of Babylon, the place where uh, Ezekiel is in exile uh, with others. And that in itself, that movement uh, east is in itself a rebuke to the complacency of the people in Jerusalem. Uh, You see that in verse 15 of chapter 11. Uh, God says, son of man, uh, he's talking to Ezekiel, son of man, The people of Jerusalem have said of your fellow exiles and all the other Israelites, they are far away from the Lord. This land was given to us as a possession. Uh, See, some people, uh, like Ezekiel, have been taken off into exile in Babylon. And the reaction back in Jerusalem uh, isn't, oh, wow, we need need to pray for those guys. or, Or we need to repent, that could happen to us. No, they say, God didn't, God didn't like them anyway. The, land, the land's ours. It's, it's our inheritance. It's, they're, they're squabbling over the, the bits of land that the exiles have left behind. The land was given to us. It's like when your sister moves out of home and all of the siblings say, Bag's having her room, uh, and, and then saying uh, after that, oh, she's not coming back. Mum and Dad like us the best now. It's, it's actually, it's cruel and the attitude is that we're fine. It's the people off in exile who've done the wrong thing. And so they're complacent. They think the same punishment won't come on them. But God is walking out. And actually in God uh, walking out, walking out to the east... Uh, The amazing thing is that that's where we find the first uh, light of hope uh, that we've had so far in Ezekiel. If you've been with us as we've worked our way through Ezekiel, it's been uh, tough going. As we've seen, idolatry and punishment and God's judgment on his people. Uh, But now in uh, chapter 11, we're 11 chapters in, but finally uh, some hope rises Uh, A small fire of hope begins in verse 16. Despite this attitude of the people in Jerusalem saying that the exiles are cut off, uh, this is what God says. Uh, Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. See, God walks out of his sanctuary in Jerusalem, uh, but he goes to the east, 
where some of his people are, and there in Babylon, he becomes a sanctuary himself for his people. Even in exile, he's caring for his people, and he promises to bring them back. Verse 17, therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. And at this point, this is where Ezekiel goes big, he goes huge. All the prophets do this when they uh, look to the future towards uh, what God's going to do. Uh, they see God promising much, much more, uh, more than you can imagine. Not just a return, not just to come back to the land to simply fall back into the same patterns of, of sin and idolatry. But what Ezekiel uh, talks about next is a permanent fix. permanent fix. It's a bit like my rake. I have a rake. Um, the rake portion of my rake disconnected from the handle. And so what I did is I put it back onto the handle and I gaffer taped it. And now I use my rake and I go rake, 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 and then the rake bit falls off and I'm left holding a stick. And so what I do is I go and get more gaffer tape <laughs> and I put more gaffer tape around my rake. But the that doesn't work. Gaffer tape does not fix a rake. That's public service announcement. Uh, I, need, I need a permanent fix. I need to go buy a new rake, one that's a single-piece rake. Can you have them? I don't know. Uh, but what I need is a new rake, one that won't keep breaking, not just kind of keeping putting Band-Aids over the top of it. Uh, and that's what Ezekiel looks to. He looks to this wild promise, a permanent fix, this huge promise of a new rake. No, uh, a, a huge promise of a new heart. Verse 19. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. See, the heart is the centre of the problem of idolatry. And God promises a permanent fix of that, a new, undivided heart for him. So his people will never go back to, to idols. And that, that is exactly what uh, Jesus does when he comes in the New Testament, in that section that we had read uh, from John chapter 1. Uh, if you've got that in your Bibles, now's the time to flick across uh, to John chapter 1. I'll do it as well, and you can race me. I made it. I was going left-handed as well. So, verse 14. Uh, John 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, uh, the idolatry, idolatry of God's people uh, means that God leaves. He walks out. He can't be with them anymore. And yet, uh, when God comes to solve that problem once and for all, to bring a permanent fix, what does he do? He comes near. 
the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Instead of leaving his temple, he comes and dwells with his people. And it's the same kind of word there that's used uh, to describe God's glory dwelling in the temple. It's the same kind of word here uh, that the word made, is, made his dwelling among us. So instead of uh, going to the temple and uh, the glory of God departing, we see the glory of God full of grace and truth in the person of Jesus. And he comes as a light, verse 5. Uh, the light shines in the darkness. He comes to shine that uh, shine God's light into those dark, hidden rooms of our idolatry. And he comes to bring that permanent fix, new hearts, a new life towards God. Read with me from verse 12. He says, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, that born of God, with a heart of flesh, New life, a real heart that loves God. That's the thing that Jesus brings. That's what he gives to all who receive him. He is the answer to idolatry. He brings that permanent fix by giving us new birth by his death and resurrection. Well, how do we respond to all this, uh, what we've seen in Ezekiel and in John 1? Uh, Back in Ezekiel, he's... Uh, not actually speaking to pagans about their idolatry. He's talking uh, about God's people, about the idolatry that's uh, right there in the temple. And so we need to think about that as uh, uh, people who want to live for God. Uh, How does idolatry work? I think in God's solution, uh, it helps us to, to understand what idolatry really is. Because the solution is uh, that God says he will give us an undivided heart. And so we can tell that idolatry has to do with the heart. Not just about our emotions, how we feel, but about ourselves, about who we are. It's about when we're divided in our devotion. Uh, When we ought to, to love God, to serve him only... But instead, we, we love and serve other things in his place. And so if we're going to call ourselves God's people, we need to be careful that we're not like the Israelites, that we don't look to other things uh, to provide what God himself provides, and we don't bow down to other things instead of God. We might buy, bow down to are the things of this world which give us security or significance. But a career doesn't provide for your needs. God provides for your needs. He might use a job to provide for you, uh, but he might not. And devoting yourself to your job above the God who sustains the whole world, well, that's just crazy. And uh, to, to be devoted to our relationships, to uh, having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or wife, 
A relationship doesn't give you worth. It doesn't give you value. God gives you value. God gives you worth. And he may bless you with a relationship. But to be devoted to that, to your partner above the God who made everything, that's just crazy. The God who has showered you with his love, to turn your back on that and to devote yourself to some other person who God has made is just crazy. And it's dangerous. Ezekiel tells us that God will not stand for idolatry among his people. God will not stand for idolatry among his people. He is a jealous God. And he won't allow us to treat him with contempt. God cannot be mocked. So get rid of your idols, uni church. If you have them, get rid of your idols. Those things which give you a divided heart that you are devoted to instead of God. And don't simply hide them. Don't hide them in a dark room as if God can't see your bank statements hidden away on the internet there. As if the secret idol of greed, the love of money, is not that God can't see that somehow. Don't hide away uh, the things you love online that you're devoted to as if deleting your browser history or wiping your cache can make any difference. God can see your online idols, the idols of your heart, the things that you're devoted to above him. Get rid of your idols, Union Church. But I want to tell you the good news. The good news is you can. Because the Lord Jesus has come. And he comes, uh, and to those who will receive him, he gives the right to become children of God, to be born of God, to be made new so that you can live a life that is devoted to God. When God rightly should have walked out of the room, what did he do? He came near in the person of Jesus and he put his glory right in our midst. And he gives us a permanent fix to our wayward hearts. So look to Jesus. If you feel like uh, you're battling with a divided heart, uh, look to Jesus. Run to him for forgiveness. Uh, Ask him to give you that undivided heart of devotion to God. But you might be here tonight and you might not call yourself a Christian. You might just be here checking it out. And I want to tell you uh, as well that this is good news. It's good news that it is possible to be devoted to God because being devoted to other things is, is actually terrible. It's crushing. To be devoted to good grades, to be devoted to a, a career or a relationship or fashion or food, uh, all of those things, uh, they're less than you and they'll end up consuming you as well. And they're hard taskmasters and they give nothing back and they don't care one bit about you. Your grades don't care about you. 
They're just a single letter on a page. They're two letters if you're really winning. So don't devote your life to that. Don't devote yourself to things that will just pass away. There is a God who made you and who calls you to be devoted to him and says that in that devotion is life to the full. And he's come close and, it's made, and he's made it possible for us to be rightly devoted to him with a single undivided heart, a single focus and a single purpose in life, a purpose that's bigger than you and a relationship with the God who made you. And if you're here tonight, we would love for you to investigate that, to come with us, to stick around at Uni Church and to explore the joy and the privilege of being devoted to God alone. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you so much that when we were far off, you chased us down. That you brought us forgiveness and put us right so that we might be your children and have new undivided hearts of devotion to you. We pray that that would be true of us, that we would get rid of our idols and live lives of wholehearted devotion to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.